No one does petty like Nintendo, and today the company took this mantra to a new low. Good morning, good Friday morning to you, and happy weekend. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for March 25th, 2022. The show is in our patrons' feeds bright and early every weekday morning, and free on our YouTube channel for everyone else. You can find our flagship show, Game Face, by searching your favorite podcast service. You'll find the podcast versions of the rest of our content in the same feed you found this. Nintendo of America sent a takedown notice earlier today to the Internet Archive. Who does that? Where scans of a Super Mario 64 strategy guide from 1995 were being hosted. But this wasn't just any strategy guide. It was only released in Japan and included really cool dioramas. The sort of thing the internet was created to archive so that they will never be lost forever to time. The scans were uploaded by Comfort Food Video Games, and the crew sent an email to Kotaku explaining that it was disappointed that Nintendo was actively trying to prevent the adequate archiving of something that's been out of print for 27 years. Now look, I understand why Nintendo feels the need to protect its IP. If it gets too slack, it makes it harder to defend itself in court when real issues arise. But something like this will never be a real issue. Just like when it sued Mari Car in Japan, the company that let people rent Mario Kart-style go-karts to drive around Tokyo. If Nintendo believes this distraction would keep people from attending its new amusement park in Japan, then it needs to improve the amusement park. I've seen a lot of game journalists go after Nintendo for shutting down fan-built video games. In fact, it shut down well over 500 different fan games across the years. But to me, that's one example of copyright infringement that actually makes sense to stop. Nintendo is most known for making video games. So if someone stumbles across a Mario or Zelda game made by a fan that includes questionable content or is just flat out bad, it could negatively impact their impression of the Nintendo brand. Likewise, shutting down companies that promote hacking and homebrew on their platforms, that makes sense. It's the same deal with ROM sites where people are trying to pirate Nintendo software. But then questions arise over fighting unwinnable battles, something Nintendo is also prone to do. But a strategy guide from 1995? Or a go-kart rental company downtown? No one would reasonably hold Nintendo to account for either of those products. It's a fine line between letting your fans have fun with your brands and being a stick in the mud that stamps out any and all creativity. Nintendo does have somewhat of a history of changing its rigid policies. It wasn't that long ago that it kept YouTubers and streamers from using its games like games from any other publisher, but it eventually relented, and now Let's Plays and live streams of Nintendo games are no big deal. But it's always so slow to move. Remember, it hated video game rentals at Blockbuster Video back in the day as well. It took Blockbuster to court, and it lost the court case, but Blockbuster still had to put third-party manuals inside its games for rent. Again, Nintendo being so petty. Nintendo always seems to be going against the grain. Back in 2019, Nintendo sent a cease and desist to a Twitter leaker 
who was leaking tons of E3 information before the show. And it wasn't even Nintendo's information. It was a preemptive cease and desist in case the leaker had some news on Nintendo. Nintendo also shut down fan-made Joy-Con shells for charity, and it sued the creator of the Game Genie. So while I understand the need for Nintendo to protect its IP and brands, it could also do a much better job of picking its battles. And now for a couple more stories from the top of your sis. With E3's troubles over the last few years, all these shows have sprung up in attempts to replace the void left by the real E3, but let's be honest, they're really just marketing opportunities for these gaming websites. And one of those is called the Future Games Showcase, courtesy of Games Radar. Now, if there's one series of shows that is particularly egregious, it is the Future Game Show. They happen way too often and typically come with very few big announcements or surprises. Well, the latest one happened today, called the Future Game Show Spring Showcase 2022, and the biggest announcement of the entire show was the debut of Deliver Us Mars, the sequel to Deliver Us the Moon. Haven't heard of it? Most people haven't. The other big game was Lego Brick Tales, which is a Lego puzzle box game from the developers of Bridge Constructor. It's coming this year to PC and other consoles, but again, not really that big a deal. There's more bad juju coming out of the Activision Blizzard camp, as yet another female employee has alleged misconduct. This time, the alleged misconduct occurred after the publisher had already been outed for all the prior offenses we've been talking about now for probably the last 12 months. The latest lawsuit is against five named Activision Blizzard employees, and it alleges an unnamed Jane Doe not only was discriminated against, but faced repercussions for speaking out, including at a press conference just last December. After all the bad press, Activision, Blizzard, still couldn't get things in line. So much for fixing the corporate culture, allegedly. Sony is showing off PlayStation VR 2 to developers at GDC 2022. It appears we're not getting a public-facing event for Sony's new headset at the show, but at least it's being shown behind closed doors. Former Valve VR figurehead Chet Felezic tweeted about seeing the device, noting the experience was, in his words, quote, so good, end quote. The original PlayStation VR had its coming out party at GDC, so there was some hope that its successor would do the same, but it does not appear to be in the cards. Upload VR previously reported that Sony was shipping out thousands of development kits to studios, so PlayStation's new VR HMD should get a full reveal soon with a likely launch in 2023. Street Fighter VI may have just been announced, but Capcom is still supporting Street Fighter V with plenty of DLC. In honor of the Capcom Pro Tour Esports League, three new costumes have been announced for six bucks apiece along with a brand new stage for 10 bucks, or you can buy the entire package for 20. It's certainly not cheap, but at this point, the publisher knows that the people still playing are locked in, engaged, and open to any and all additional content. Reviews for the Halo TV show on Paramount Plus are beginning to roll in, and it's not pretty. Its Rotten Tomatoes critics average is 57%, while the user score isn't much higher at 67%. Most reviews are united in saying that the show focuses more on character and story building instead of video game-like battle scenes. But at the same time, 
Several more casual critics claimed the first couple episodes are too insidery and hard for non-fans to understand. One critic went so far as to say that it would be better off if it did not use the Halo license and that it's actually holding the show back. Several mentioned the strong performance of the actor who plays Master Chief, Pablo Scriber, which surely means he's helmet-free for big chunks of the show. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight. Welcome to today's Boss Fight, where I tackle random topics that may or may not be related to video games. What I want to talk about today is game difficulty. And I'm sure you're assuming right now that that means that this is going to be yet another discussion on From Software's games and how they should be more accessible or they should not be more accessible and how it's the art that they want to make and should, you shouldn't mess with the art that the artist wants to make. No, I don't want to talk about any of that. I want to talk about what is the perfect difficulty curve for most players. Now, I will agree that this topic does spring out of the fact that I have been playing Elden Ring, like pretty much everybody else has been for the last month. And I have not typically been a fan of From Software's games. I would not call myself a big fan of Elden Ring either, but I will say I've managed to spend a lot more time with it than I have any other From Software game. In fact, I think at this point, if you added up all the time that I spent with all of From's games, it probably that number would come in lower than the amount of time I've spent with Elden Ring. So in a lot of ways, I'm getting my first extended exposure to From's difficulty curve. And what I've noticed is after playing Elden Ring, I go back and play other games and it changes my perception of their difficulty. So for example, I put Horizon Forbidden West on hold to play Elden Ring. I'm doing a stream every Saturday. You should check it out. Shane vs. Elden Ring at twitch.tv slash siftedgames. That's every Saturday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern if you want to join in on the fun. So the free time that I would have to finish off Horizon Forbidden West, I've actually been spending playing Elden Ring. But just this week, I finally had some time to go back to Horizon Forbidden West, and I found that it is exceptionally easy. And I knew that already from playing it before, and I am playing that game on the default difficulty setting. And I found that even though I am a long ways into the game, most of it does not feel especially challenging. But I've also been surprised that that has not translated into a empty or hollow feeling while playing Horizon. It's just different. There's a different focus on the game. There's a bigger focus on storytelling, world building, things like that. And I would argue there's a much wider variety in how you can tackle combat and how you can take on the enemies in the game. So playing Elden Ring... While it has changed how I look at difficulty in other games, it hasn't made me appreciate less difficult games any less. I still like those games just as much, but what I've realized is that they're just, it's a different experience. I've also been playing Ghostwire Tokyo, another game that's really easy 
But what I found is that while I'm not beating my head against the wall, fighting every enemy 10, 15 times, the pacing of the game is such that it never becomes an issue. As soon as I beat an enemy, I'm right on to the next mission objective, and I've already forgotten within five minutes what I just did. And I'm on to the next objective and the next thing that the game is asking me to do. And games that are well-paced, that's how they work. And that's why, for some games, depending on how they're designed, difficulty may not matter much, if at all. But let's talk about the perfect algorithm of challenge divided by frustration equals elation. Meaning, what is the perfect amount of struggle that you need to go through so that when you do finally conquer whatever it is that you conquer, you feel good about it? I would propose that the perfect difficulty curve is, in fact, a curve. When I start a game, and I'm just learning the mechanics of a game, I don't want to die. And this is what has turned me off to From Software's games from the get-go. I'm just learning the ins and outs of your games. You don't need to kill me. I don't need to die. I don't need to feel a sense of accomplishment from the first minute I start playing a video game. It's okay for there to be a honeymoon period where you learn the controls, where you learn enemy behaviors, where you learn the timing. It's okay. It doesn't have to shatter your soul from the first minute of the game. To me, the perfect difficulty curve goes up as you play the game. The game becomes more difficult as you play the game. I would argue that is something that the video games of old got right and the video games of today completely fail at. I can't remember the last game where the final three bosses were any more difficult than the first three bosses that I fought. And in fact, sometimes in these games, they're balanced so poorly that by the time you get to the end of the game, the end game bosses are easier to beat than some of the bosses from the beginning of the game. So here's how my scale works. First couple hours, I really don't want to die at all. I want to understand the mechanics of the game, how the world works, how all the different elements of the game, the leveling up. I want to understand the game in the first hour or two. I do not want to die. Once the honeymoon period is over, it's okay to start dying. And it's okay to start dying even to rank and file enemies that are just littered out in the environment. This way, you're forced to start to nail the fundamentals of the combat at that point. And that first boss that you fight after the honeymoon period, I'm okay dying to that boss five or six times. Anything more than that, though, you're starting to test my patience. And from that point, it ramps up. Each subsequent level, each subsequent boss... It's a-okay if it's more likely if I will die in those scenarios. And the second boss, if it takes me 10 tries to beat the second boss, cool. That's perfect. Third boss, 15 tries. Totally cool with that. Keep going until you get to the end of the game. And when I fight the end boss of any game, I'm almost disappointed if it does not take 20, 25, 30 times to beat him. Now, if I get over that number that's where it starts to grate. That's where you, at least used to be, where I would start getting angry and maybe throw a controller. <laughs> I don't want to admit that, but... And honestly, I can't remember the last time I actually threw a controller. When I get really frustrated, I just squeeze my controller really hard. <laughs> I don't know which is worse for the controller. But it should be a gradual ramping up. That 
as you learn new skills and your skills improve, and as you get new, more powerful weapons and those improve, the pushback from the enemy should increase to scale along with it so the game never becomes too easy and you never lose that perfect sense of accomplishment. So you've heard from me. What do you think? What kind of scale do you think is perfect? And do you think that playing games like Elden Ring or Dark Souls has changed your opinion of how games should ramp up their difficulty? Now, I started playing games in the 70s and 80s when games were really hard. And then they kind of got really easy. But ultimately, this is what I've settled on is what I believe to be the perfect curve. I'm open to your suggestions, and I want to hear them. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I appreciate every single one of you who listens to GMG. I'm Shane Satterfield, and you have the entire weekend to do what the cool kids do and follow me on Twitter at Dinfire, and then follow Sifted at Sifted Games. Also, head on over to patreon.com sifted and drop us a pledge. We'll be back with another show on Monday, but until then, make sure you seize this weekend, because there will never be another. <laughs>